Welcome to Wireless Future. Uh, I'm Eric Larsson and I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how are you today? I'm great. It's good to be back with another episode. It is indeed. And uh, this is, um, uh, according to my records, episode number 17. That's amazing. Um, yeah. It's a great first wow. season that so. we are, are getting. I don't think we were predicting to uh, really continue like this when you are almost... Well, it's always hard to, hard to predict the future. Yeah. Um, so the topic of uh, today's discussion is going to be on energy efficiency yeah. in uh, communications. And uh, as a piece of background here, Emil, you have co-authored a white paper issued by the IEEE Future Networks looking at 5G and beyond. And uh, the title of the white paper, I think, was just um, energy efficiency. Yeah, it's some kind of roadmap uh, towards the future that IEEE Future Networks are producing with respect to different topic areas. And our topic was energy efficiency. Right. So what does energy efficiency really mean in the context of communication systems. I guess in general energy efficiency is like you're going to carry out this particular task and how much energy is consumed in order to do that and that we then measuring how efficient it is if you're comparing different types of solutions and uh, when it comes to our mobile networks they are consuming say one to two percent of the total energy in the world and then it might only contribute to say 1% or a little bit less than that to the carbon emissions. But in general, I would say energy efficiency is important because it, it causes uh, environmental uh, issues in terms of uh, carbon equivalent uh, emissions. And also it has the, the cost dimension to it. And since the, mm. the traffic is increasing with like 45-50% per year, uh, it sort of becomes a concern over time. Right, so no doubt energy efficiency is important, and I guess there are two aspects here, right? One is the concern over growing, say, electrical power consumption worldwide in data centers and, and mobile networks and all sorts of IT infrastructure. And the other is also, I would think, um, energy efficiency of mobile devices that have to run on batteries. Mm where uh, you're really constrained by the, the, the weight of the device and the, the lifetime of the battery. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, so how can we make networks more energy efficient? What are the technical approaches here? Yeah, I think we can approach this at a few different levels. So one level is uh, when we are planning the infrastructure. How, how do we deploy our base station? What kind of characteristics do they have? And also when it comes to the user devices, what kind of user device should we have? Then once we have decided on that, we could then go down and think about the active mode when we are actually communicating with the devices and the standby or inactive mode when they are only waiting to decide on if there is some traffic or not. So we can sort of approach all of these uh, different levels and think about what are the, the bottlenecks? What is it that consumes a lot of energy? And what can we do about it? Could we turn something off? Can we consolidate different pieces of hardware? Maybe we don't need all of them uh, if we can gather all the computation at one place, then it might be more efficient. And then eventually also adapt our algorithms in the software in order to make things more efficient. Mm. 
But I mean, is the network really inactive ever? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of even with today's applications, uh, right? Folks using their cell phones <laughs> all the time, and even when not using them, they are downloading all sorts of updates and uh, other data. Um, so, to what extent are the networks really inactive, such that components can be turned off? You think? So there are actually large uh, possibilities for that. And I think uh, one starting point is to think about that we are building the mobile network for two purposes. One is to provide coverage everywhere. And uh, the other is to provide capacity so we can deliver a lot of data at the places where people are requesting that. Uh, but in particular, at the countryside, depending on the countryside, you have, of course, different uh, densities of population. But in Sweden, we have a lot of base stations in the countryside that are there so that if someone happens to be there and wants to download something, uh, you could do it. But uh, most of the time, there is very little usage there. Then in the populated areas, uh, you are densifying to keep track of the data traffic and to be able to deliver it. Uh, but then we have some f- concept called the peak hour or the busy hour, which is typically that the traffic is five to ten times larger at particular hours of the day compared to, say, the nighttime. Uh, and this could be different to different parts of the city, depending on if it's a residential area or a place with offices, for example. Uh, and then even if you zoom in at the particular millisecond, uh, the burstiness of traffic that comes from the internet, uh, the IP, um, uh, TCP IP protocols are creating burstiness. So even if you, if you average over time, see that there is a lot of data there at every millisecond, it might go up and down. Mm. Uh, that's an interesting point. I mean, so but isn't that really an artifact of the TCP IP protocol? I mean, uh, granted, it's a very useful protocol for lots of different services, but there might also be services that are more naturally circuit switched, and in which case you would, with a different protocol, not necessarily see this, um, say, um, shifts or, or in traffic intensity or, or peaks in intensity. Um, so how about future traffic types that we uh, envision, I mean, beyond 5G, right, with massive machine type communication with that really hits on for real and uh, augmented virtual reality, perhaps, and uh, uh, well-connected cars. And, um, you know, we spoke, I think, in a previous episode about how wireless communications infrastructure could be used to support machine learning applications. And one of the conclusions there was that the nature of the traffic might be entirely different as compared to what we are seeing in the networks today. So what do you think of future uh, traffic types? Will we still have this, see this phenomenon that the, the, the infrastructure is idle most much of the time so that it can be turn, components can be turned off? I do think that uh, the new type of traffic, uh, as you were pointing to, that could be more deterministic in that you're on purpose to make things more efficient. You decide on in advance at this particular millisecond you should be transmitting or so, so that we could schedule things more effectively. Then at the mm-hmm. same time, the bulk of the traffic in today's network is video traffic coming f- over the internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not so easy to change the TCP IP protocol. Uh, there, <laughs> and there's also a lot of delays created over the internet because things are floating between different servers. So we won't change mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a lot of the problems will remain. Absolutely. There is a lot of legacy here that imposes constraints on what can be easily done, right, on the, say, wireless uh, access layer. Um, 
in any case now if we accept this fact that traffic intensity varies um, heavily over time how do we best exploit these variations yeah i think the good thing is that there is a, a statistical modeling possibility because uh, even if there is randomness due to things happening on the internet uh, and due to user behaviors there is also a predictability in terms of it so we could predict that at certain hours of the day there will be more traffic and in other hours it won't and this can be utilized to, to adapt uh, how we are uh, running the network so uh, one of the, the basic things is to consider sleep modes of different types so if we are not expecting the device to be active for a particular amount of time mm. which could be uh, only a few milliseconds uh, then mm. Mm. you can turn off pieces of hardware that is just going mm. idle and save energy from doing that the the cost mm. for it is really that uh, you're creating longer delays when you are trying to contact the device or if someone wants to contact you, uh, they can only do it at particular predefined intervals. So uh, mm. th there is always this trade-off. But uh, when there is no traffic, we should try to turn off as much as possible. Mm. Right. So what you're saying is really, I mean, turning off um, subcomponents or subsystems on a fairly short time scale might be even down to frame level or, or millisecond level uh, in order to to save as much of energy in the circuitry as possible and then at the same time utilize whatever knowledge is available regarding how we can predict when these resources are needed again so that the system can wake up um, appropriately. Yeah, yeah that, that's, an, uh, that's an interesting um, prospect. Now, we talked a lot about um, putting um, devices and uh, components in the systems to sleep, but if we focus still on the on the active mode mm -hmm. where say the physical layer is fully loaded we have <laughs> lots of devices that are served simultaneously and they all want to get the maximum possible data rate under the the uh, say um, power constraints that we have in the interference situation that we are in and so forth uh, what can be done to improve the efficiency in the active mode yes so uh then it could be important to measure energy efficiency in a way that we can actually quantify and compare different types of methods. And one common way of doing that is to compute a benefit-cost ratio, which is like the data rate that you're mm. delivering divided with the power that you're consuming at the time and try to... So, so the data rate divided by the power consumed as some kind of metric of how energy efficient the system is? Yes. Uh, mm. And then that becomes, in the end of the day, a metric in bit per joule of energy that we are consuming. So that is uh, right. And uh, then depending on what kind of traffic we're having, uh, well, we have different number of bits, but it, uh, this then the, determining how many joules that they are are consuming. Mm. Mm. And uh, when it comes to legacy networks, they have often been built in such a way that there is a large amount of power consumption when there is little traffic and then it increases just a little bit with the traffic so there is no real connection between these two different things which means that you uh, 
to make it energy efficient, you want to have high load uh, in terms of that type of metric, because mm. otherwise you're just consuming a lot of energy that is not used for for anything useful. And this was uh, at some point it was uh, claimed to be a good thing. Look, oh, the traffic has grown this uh, big amount, but look at the energy consumption have barely grown at all. But it's actually a bad thing because you want to have this kind of linear behavior between if there's no traffic, no energy consumption, and when there is a lot of traffic, yeah, the energy consumption could be relatively high to keep this ratio more or less constant between high load and, and low load. So you're saying the key here is to keep the, this ratio, this metric, that was again the, 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 the energy in joule consumed per information bit to keep that as constant as possible over time is that like the goal yeah, that one should optimize uh, for you exactly saying? ideally you would like to achieve that uh, since uh, the mention your network for these peak hours that i mentioned earlier and then mm-hmm. you know that part of the time uh, you will have five to ten times less traffic so uh, right. you, you want to have a rather smooth energy efficiency irrespective of if you have high or low load for the moment. Mm. Right, so you really want to smoothen out in a way the, um, not only the traffic load, but, but really the energy efficiency in, in, um, in joule per bit mm. here, uh, you're saying. Okay, that sounds like uh, an interesting and, and somewhat new type of optimization criterion that I suppose would would spark also uh, lots of research and development into methods for how to allocate resources. I mean, not only radio resources, but potentially or probably also hardware uh, resources in in, in the system. Yeah, precisely. So if we just think to start with, with about power that we are using for the radiated signals, then if we have a certain power budget, this is the maximum amount we can radiate, then uh, the amount of data that we can transfer is not growing linearly with when we are varying the power. We typically have the data rate is a logarithmic function of your signal-to-noise ratio. And uh, up to a certain point, it might pay off to increase uh, the power uh, that you're transmitting mm. with so that you get a higher data rate. But after a while, the power mm. consumption is growing, but your data rate isn't changed very much. Mm. So from that perspective, mm. you come to the point where you don't want to use all the power all the time, even if you have traffic. Right. Is that because the uh, payoff in Shannon capacity is only logarithmic yes. Yes, in I, power? Yeah, exactly. Or is this, yeah. Mm. yeah. So the capacity grows as log of the transmitted power more or less yes and um, if one only if one only considers the transmitted power and the data rate then one can show mathematically that you actually don't want to communicate at all because then you get the highest energy efficiency ratio (laughs) Uh, and and that is a sort of a uh, artifact uh, by that there is all of this other hardware component that you were mentioning that is consuming energy as well. So if you put those into the picture, you get a different answer. So this energy efficiency ratio becomes very sensitive to modeling, which is uh, one of Mm -hmm. the issues. I can imagine, and that's really an odd anomaly, right? That the optimum solution is to shut everything off and nobody communicates with anyone. Uh, That can't be, so there has to be a flaw somewhere in the model. But it does seem like accurate mathematical and accurate modeling of the physics here is going to be highly important Mm. in order to reach 
solutions that can substantially improve over what we have today. So I have always been thinking that one of the key elements or key enablers for improving the energy efficiency of wireless links is massive MIMO. Uh, for the simple reason that with massive MIMO we get a significant array gain. I mean, with 100 antennas we get a 20 dB, which is a factor 100 array gain, which effectively translates into a savings of radiated power by 100 times. Uh, everything else um, uh, equal. And we also know that in massive MIMO, when we multiplex to many terminals in the cell, then typically the vast majority of the power spent is spent on serving the most disadvantaged terminal that is typically in the cell board or, or, or in a deep fade somewhere, I mean, in, in, the, in the basement of a house or, or, or somewhere, right? So 99% of the power is spent on serving that poor little terminal out there at the border, uh, at the cell border. And the rest of the terminals in the cell can almost just join for free mm-hmm. um, because we have the multiplexing gain and so little extra power in comparison is required to serve them simultaneously as well. Um, So that has been, I suppose, uh, my view on energy efficiency that, well, if radiated power is important at all, then massive MIMO has to be the solution for the very reason that I just outlined. Um, Is that some, I mean, do you agree with that or are there other aspects here that uh, will come into play? I think in general, I agree with this and I have been studying this in some detail in the past as well and uh, one needs to keep in mind all of the things that are uh, consuming more energy when you put more antennas into the system so yes you get the beamforming gain uh, by adding more antennas to your system Uh, so then you can effectively get the same received power by radiating less power Uh, but uh, you also have consumption in the additional radio frequency change that you you need to have there so uh, at the end of the day it's sort of like the received power is proportional to the transmitted power multiplied with the number of antennas you're using for for beam forming so and both of these factors are consuming energy so there becomes some kind of optimization problem there as well where Mm. you want to find the the right Uh, trade-off absolutely so really what you're saying is that the power consumption of the actual radio frequency transceiver chains doesn't scale linearly with the radiated power. So there'll always be some, say, overhead or, or, or cost associated. When, when we scale down the power, then the, we also scale down the efficiency typically. And that will penalize in, 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 to some extent solutions that rely on, well, massive MIME or, or, or many antennas in general. Um, yeah, there certainly is such an effect. Um, which is important to model here, I suppose. Yes, and then there, there is this uh, saying in the business areas that you have to spend money to make money. And uh, here you have sort of the, the thing, you need to spend energy to make data uh, traffic or to be able to deliver that. So uh, if you are using Massive MIMO to try to make the system more energy efficient, it will for sure... Uh, most likely at least consume more energy even if we can design the hardware more efficiently in the future to catch some corners mm. utilizing good properties that MIME technologies have uh, we probably will mm. consume more energy but the benefit would then be that yes you get more energy delivered with beamforming and you get the multiplexing mm. gain that mm. you described so 
if mm-hmm. I can just find the, the right trade-off between these things, we can get a much better energy efficiency, but uh, it will be achieved by having higher data rate and more energy consumption. So really what you're saying is that if you compare, uh, say, classical or old base station to a massive MIMO base station, well, the massive MIMO base station is going to consume more power in terms of, I mean, just the electricity that draws from the grid, mm. right? Maybe 10 times, or I don't know, but a few times. On the other hand, at the same time, it will deliver 10 or 100 times more in terms of, of bits per second. So um, the, the energy efficiency is still more favorable. Uh, with a MIMO solution. Exactly, and mm-hmm. since the data traffic is growing all the time, uh, this is what is really important. And uh, this is something mm-hmm. we have seen in other fields in the past also. There is something called the Jevons paradox that, for example, when cars become more fuel efficient, mm-hmm. people are also using them more at the same time. So we, we are never really <laughs> seeing that decrease in the carbon emission from car, at least not until now with electrical cars. And the same thing here, we, we need to deliver a system that can deliver more data traffic because that is what people are asking for and uh, mm-hmm. then we can we'll consume energy but let's consume more energy in an intelligent manner so we push up the energy efficiency right so we talked a lot about uh, broadband here now an active mode and delivering many bits per second right so how about uh, massive machine type communications that we touched briefly upon earlier and the internet of things where I guess the the vision is that we, we could have lots of small, tiny devices and sensors, right? I mean, it could be, you know, hundreds of them in a, in, in a home or in a garden or, or thousands or millions in a, in, a, in a city or not to mention, I mean, out on, on you know, <laughs> countryside and in factories and so forth. And these devices would uh, have typically very little to say in the sense that they would be sleeping for most of the time and then wake up occasionally and maybe respond to some requests from the network or send a few bits of um, data from from a sensor reading or something um, what what will be you think the energy efficiency considerations that have to be made here when IOT takes off for real Yes. So we, you mentioned the channel capacity earlier and I did it as well. And that is sort of, whenever you use that metric to analyze things, is based on that you're transmitting a lot of data. And this is not the, the case here. So then it's really about trying to design efficient transmissions in terms of energy efficiency that uh, is uh, going on very quickly. And uh, one mm-hmm option is that if you transmit uh, just a small packet of data then all of the hand shaking that needs to go on and say oh i would like to transmit i'm raising my hand oh it's your turn now you get these resources and this and that uh, and then mm-hmm. it might be that that part of the entire communication protocol consumes more energy than the actual transmission of the data so mm-hmm. then you can afford being less efficient in the data transmission if you can cut away that extra protocol in the beginning and uh, mm. uh, on purpose design something that is not so spectrally efficient but uh, still consumes mm. less energy and uh, then using very simple solutions the devices are scheduled in advance to be transmitting at particular times or wake up once per hour at least around a particular time uh, to transmit mm. something uh, and only transmit a small packet with some simple coding, things that are not requiring very much of uh, hardware components. Uh, 
There's a lot mm. of things mm. to do. They cut corners in the, the protocols, but uh, it still consumes less energy. Mm. But really what you're suggesting here is that uh, the random access protocols themselves might be um, more significant in terms of energy consumption than the actual data transmission, right? Mm. Which calls for new solutions. I suppose grant-free random access is one such solution where devices just, well, they stay asleep most of the time, but now and then they wake up and they have a data packet to send and they just send it. I mean, they pick an appropriate channel code and a pilot signature sequence or something like that, and then they just send it and hope for the best, and then they fall asleep again. Um, and uh, the network uh, listens and decodes these transmissions, and in case transmissions collide, then, well, you rely on advanced signal processing algorithms and on MIMO arrays to resolve the collisions. And um, there is no... Uh, not necessarily here a transaction of the form that you know the device first sends a preamble and asks for the transmission grant and gets a response and then sends something and gets an acknowledgement and and so forth um, so that's an exciting uh, prospect with uh, grant free uh, random access and something that might indeed be coming for internet of things uh, in in beyond 5g and uh, which, as I understand from you here now, also will have significant implications on energy efficiency. Yes. So, uh, in a way, you cut down a bit on the robustness because you you might not always mm. be able to decode the signals. And then you're moving mm. a lot of the energy consumption to the base stations where they need to run these more advanced mm. the protocols. But... Uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but since you anyway are hopefully going to deploy this big arrays for with massive MIMO with all these capabilities mm. for mobile broadband applications, we can utilize mm. them for this aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it uh, you know can be safely assumed that all future wireless infrastructure for say cellular communications will. Um, comprise massive MIMO arrays uh, in one form or the other. Um, But the energy efficiency aspect here of the IoT devices is really on how to cut back the energy consumption of the devices and thereby save battery life, perhaps more so than cutting back on the energy consumption uh, in the infrastructure. Uh, Although that, of course, is also important. Yes, and uh, even if you're only transmitting or even if you transmit as often as uh, every 10 seconds or so, if the transmission burst is extremely short as well, then Mm. uh, if you add up the energy consumption, you might be running this device on a battery for five years, uh, or at least Mm. until the point Mm. where batteries would anyway starts to discharge Mm. so that you're limited by that, not by the radio. Right. So... um, where, where do you think we should start? I mean, if we look at the infrastructure side and we set the goal of improving energy efficiency with this metric that you proposed, um, joule per bit uh, by, let's say, 10 times. Uh, how do we go about that? I mean, do we start with the radio access or do we start by densifying the network and put more and smaller base stations? Or what are the, the real solutions here, uh, if you were to summarize that? So I was trying to do some analysis of this uh, a few years ago uh, because I also had the belief that some kind of massive MIMA solution would appear naturally, but I wanted to 
formulate mass optimization problems, some kind of mathematics that would hopefully deliver what I was predicting mm. as the output. And what I saw from mm. those cases when I tried to uh, analyze the data rates, analyze the, the power consumption, different things, was that uh, if you big, uh, build a big cell, uh, if it's a macro cell, if you say that you have many kilometers of range, then the main consumer of energy will be the um, power amplifiers because you need to transfer with very high power. And yes, you can add antennas uh, to it, but the power consumption will still be large. Uh, so uh, then cutting down on the uh, the maximum ranges by putting up more base stations will be a more efficient way of reducing the total energy consumption because uh, yeah, the, the distance to the cell edge will be smaller. Uh, so, uh, mm. and in a way, we have this concept of path loss exponent saying that the, the power is disappearing with the distance to the power of 3, 4, something like this. And if you can cut all the distances by a factor 2, you're saving a lot in how much energy you will have on the, the edge of the cell. But then when you come to a point when you have densified so that you are not that limited anymore by the, the radiated power, the other parts of the hardware consumption is starting to be equally important. Things like what you're consuming for processing in the, the analog and the digital domain. That is when it becomes useful to use things like mass and MIMO instead of densifying in order for sort of... Uh, take this power consumption that you have in the base station and share it between mm. many users. You cannot really compress it very much, but mm. if you increase it a little mm. bit by adding more RF chains and then you multiplex users, you are effectively consuming less energy in the analog and digital parts per user than you would do before. So sort of sufficiently small cells and uh, and that is typically of the size that we already have in urban areas. So that's why it makes a lot of sense already now to replace those base stations with massive MIMO. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying uh, here, I mean, the, the, the thesis that you're putting forward is really that, well, densify until radiated power isn't the dominating part of the energy consumption any longer. Mm. And then at the density that you, we, we reach, say, equip the access points with massive MIMO arrays, mm. um, which is a, I think, very crisp and, and useful uh, conclusion from uh, your papers here that this is how to think about how to optimize. I mean, in, in rather general terms, how to think about how to optimize for energy efficiency. Densify until radiated power isn't the dominating uh, cost any longer and then use massive MIMO. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, I mean, you mentioned here, I think, um, um, path loss and um, uh, covering large distances and so forth. Then my understanding is and has been that well i mean obviously the physics doesn't change right there is nothing we can do about the speed of light or about the path loss in fact the path loss rather increases once we or at least the, the to be more accurate the effective area of uh, an antenna decreases as we go up in frequency right but i mean path loss is there as a consequence of, of physics um, um, principles so while the physics remains unchanged, 
technology improves a lot in the sense, I mean, in, in terms of actual RF and hardware technology, here, perhaps especially digital electronics, but also the analog. Um, so what implications? I mean, do you agree with this view? And if so, uh, what will be the implications if we extrapolate, if we think of a world where, well, the path loss hasn't changed, obviously, right? But digital electronics has become another 10 times more power efficient and perhaps analog electronics has also become a lot more um, power efficient. So how will this impact the way we think about energy efficiency and more importantly, how will it impact how we should design systems, you think? I think this is a, the right way of uh, approaching this problem uh, looking forward as well. That we have these three types of energy consumption is the radiated power, uh, and when it comes to radiated power, also what is burned away in the power amplifiers, which is typically uh, four times as much as you're radiating or something like that. Uh, yeah. And then you have the, the digital processing and, and the analog. And uh, I totally agree that digital processing is becoming so much more efficient so that uh, mm. in the future we will not have to care very much about it and uh, mm. when we also are putting a lot of things together as a system on a ship uh, then all the losses that was going between different ships in the past is also disappearing so mm. if we would then think about the future where we don't need to care so much about the digital processing as long as we're not creating super crazy algorithms that have exponential complexity all the linear complexity algorithms are, are easy <laughs> uh, so, so what will we do then well then we are left with analog processing which is uh, it's not going down as quickly it's, uh, i'm not a hardware designer but as far as i understand uh, you should only expect uh, a few percent of improvement so uh, over time uh, there as compared to in order to magnitude improvement in digital processing. Uh, but mm. since it anyway is going down, while the radiated energy is, as you said, determined by the physical world around us, and the power amplifiers mm. are not getting that much more efficient. So uh, then what, you, what can we do to get the radiated energy down? Well, that is once again coming back to the things with, with MIMO. Deploying more antennas mm. at other locations, uh, which would increase the analog processing, uh, because you have all the radio ships, uh, radio equipment connected to to the antennas, but it allows you to cut down on radiated energy. So I think that is what we will see. That um, with time, data processing is not a big mm. deal, but uh, it also enables you to use more antennas in a, and still be mm. more energy efficient. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with this conclusion, right? Uh, and also, of course, using MIMO and exploiting really the uh, gain resulting from constructive superposition of um, electromagnetic waves. That's all what that's about. Um, so how about uh, the computing infrastructure? I mean, there seems to be a, a, a large push towards centralizing um, computing um, operations or infrastructure. So I'm thinking of uh, moving uh, to the cloud and and uh, moving um, computations. I mean, in, in, in CloudRon, for example, the idea is that you have uh, much of the processing going on somewhere else than where the antennas are located. Uh, are there benefits in terms of energy consumption from doing all that? Or um, is that something you can 
comment on yes to some extent there is benefits and i think in the beginning i was talking about identifying bottlenecks and try to consolidate hardware and this is what it's really about here to say well uh, if we have this large load variations over the day and also between cells at the same time of the day uh, then it might be unnecessary to have a lot of compute infrastructure meaning uh, in this case baseband processing every base station had their own hardware which no one else can utilize and if most of the time there's not much traffic there then if you can have some joint compute infrastructure you might be able to let 10 base stations share five or four mm. times the processing mm. is, uh, that they would have individually uh, so that could be a benefit mm. but then it's not necessarily either a benefit because there is also energy consumption when you're moving information from the physical site of the base station to the cloud. Uh, so something is consumed uh, over the, uh, yeah, the fiber connections or whatever connections you're having. And then cloud computing in general, it's also about trying to utilize some general purpose hardware for service, which are efficient when it comes to other general purpose type of uh, processors but you always have this kind of thing that if you design a dedicated circuit like an ASIC for a particular purpose it will be more efficient and I think this is what you can see when it comes to the massive MIMO base stations that uh, some of the vendors now Ericsson was presenting some new base station earlier this year that they are on purpose putting some of the baseband processing in the uh, antenna box because that is where you can do it more efficiently with an ASIC and then some things are moved to some kind of centralized point as well. Yeah, of course, I mean, it makes uh, perfect sense, right? To design uh, application-specific circuits that uh, sit close to where the data are generated and optimized for, for energy efficiency. But it, as you explained, it's also clear that there are other potential benefits of actually uh, shipping over the data to, to, to a central location um, and process it there uh, to share to be able to share resources, perhaps most importantly. Yeah, and we have focused a lot um, on the energy efficiency here. One could also uh, talk about cost efficiency, and that would probably be a different yeah, episode. That's uh, <laughs> and to some extent, these things are aligned because energy cost mm. is uh, also creating... Uh, I mean, if something is energy efficient, it consumes less energy, so it's less energy cost. But uh, maybe for decentralized type of infrastructures, it's also cost savings in terms of hardware that you're going to buy. Certainly, there is a trade-off across multiple dimensions here, right? I mean, quality of service on one axis, energy efficiency on the other, cost on the third, and probably others as well. So as a final topic that um, I'd like to touch upon today, energy harvesting Mm -hmm. and wireless power transfer. Um, And that's really for uh, small devices. Um, Well, call them um, passive uh, devices or not, but uh, for for small devices uh, in IoT applications. Is this something that will um, be coming, you think? And uh, how will it, uh, if at all, have an impact on on, uh, energy efficiency in the networks? So energy harvesting in general is a very good thing if the harvesting is efficient. So uh, if you have a big power plant, 
it has its efficiency but then you have a lot of losses along the way from the power plant to the edge where your network infrastructure is so if the device is a grid connected well then you will still be losing say 10 percent or 15 percent of the energy along the way in different kind of losses so from that perspective you can put energy harvesting at the edge then uh, you will get away with those losses and then it might also be a renewable type of energy harvesting uh, and then if you're not connected to the grid then it's sort of the the trade-off between um, how much can you store in a battery and how much can you increase the duration of the device by by harvesting the energy mm-hmm. uh, and then when it comes to wireless power transfer the, the problem with uh, power transfer if we are the ones on purpose who are radiating the signaling i mean if you are harvesting from the sun it's there so it sort of comes for free but if we are going to beam form energy for the purpose of an it device uh, being the one harvesting the efficiency will be extremely low I mean, even putting your device on this kind of charging mats that we have on uh, with the iPhones and all other devices are now pushing that, oh, we should have this kind of magnetic uh, charging, QI uh, charging kind of things. These are inefficient. Uh, they might only have an efficiency of 50%. So already there, we start to lose things. And then if you wirelessly beamform signals, you might only have an efficiency of 0.001% or, or something like that, even over short mm, distances. Mm. So wireless power transfer uh, with radio frequencies is extremely inefficient. But, but there might be cases where it's the only way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, there are really several separate issues here, right? One is that the wireless power transfer has a very low, uh, say, coefficient or, uh, or, or uh, very low efficiency. Um, notwithstanding, it might still be become an important technology in order to support devices that are entirely passive and don't rely on on a battery for their for their operation. Uh, but in terms of energy efficiency for the network as a whole. Uh, well, wireless power transfer is probably not going to make uh, a, a big difference. And also the harvesting techniques that you mentioned here, well, they certainly will contribute a little bit if you can you know, use uh, harvest from vibrations or harvest from ambient RF or harvest from, from with solar cells from the, from the, from the sun. Um, but in comparison to the power consumed in total in the network the contributions from the harvesting is probably going to be quite marginal so it won't impact like the overall energy efficiency of the network however it will have potentially a huge impact on on these small devices that don't need a battery anymore or even edge equipment that uh, can can be made to operate without the connection to the grid uh, does that summarize well? I think so. Uh, uh, the conclusion you yeah, think here? Yeah, and, and I could add one more thing, uh, which is uh, if you think about base stations deployed in rural areas of the world where you are not connected mm-hmm. to the grid, then it might be that you are burning oh, yeah. diesel in order to uh, be um, powering them. And at those specific mm-hmm. locations where you have very inefficient uh, um, or uh, yeah, very. <laughs> you're producing a lot of greenhouse gases from uh, the energy production locally. Then, uh, if you could cut down on the energy consumption to the point where you can use solar panels instead, well, then that would mm-hmm. be a great solution. Yeah, of course, sure. Um, 
Yeah, great. Okay, I think we are um, uh, about to, to close up here. I had a final thought, and that is regarding artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And to what extent that you think it will be, say, an important uh, enabler in order to improve on um, energy efficiency? I think it uh, is an important uh, part of it, and it is actually one of the sort of great applications of uh, this. So once you have deployed the network and uh, uh, you are stuck with what you have, now you can try to tune your protocols. And then you have all these things that are um, have statistical patterns, uh, user behaviors in different parts of the city, how they are varying over the day and over the year and things like that. You could try to, to learn those kind of statistical behaviors and use them to improve things uh, like wh- to which of the sleep modes should you utilize? Should you go into mm-hmm. short-term sleep, deep sleep, or uh, something in between? Mm-hmm. And when should you do that? And other ways of tuning your different protocols if you have these IoT devices that are consuming very, or that is comp- are not transmitting very often, can we configure them in a way so we, we learn to avoid collisions uh, based on the traffic mm. in a particular area? Uh, so th- there is a lot mm. of, of things here, I think, where AI could be useful. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, using machine learning to model how users behave and then using these models in turn to predict um, say future um, activities and um, rely on those predictions in order to, to optimize how the system should operate. Yeah, that's an exciting prospect, I think. Uh, with that, perhaps we are approaching the wrap up for today. So thanks a lot, Emil. This has been great fun as always and very educational. Also, as always, Thank you for this conversation, um, <laughs> and I uh, I appreciate a lot all the comments that we are getting uh, from our listeners as well. So so keep on listening and, and give us feedback and suggestions on future topics. And uh, even if we are not covering them immediately, we are writing them down, and we might be covering them in future episodes. Absolutely. So don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube, and see you next time. Bye bye. Thank you.